Welcome to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. Because our mission is to cultivate meaningful connections through compassionate listening and to train others to do the same, we thought it might be best to highlight both aspects, listening and training in a podcast. We are so excited to share these rich conversations with you. Someone. Someone with a story to share. Someone who needs a friend. Someone who is grieving, angry, lonely, afraid, or has questions about matters of faith. Someone who simply needs someone to listen. You are someone. You have a story worth sharing. You have inherent worth. You deserve to be seen, heard, and known. You are someone. The Someone to Tell To podcast series has gotten off to a wonderful start in the first half of 2019, and we have so many people to thank. We express our deep gratitude to Wonders Found Thrift Shop in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, for becoming the first major sponsor of the Someone to Tell To podcast series. Wonders Found Thrift Shop's mission is to provide reasonably priced clothing, goods, toys, books, and furniture to shoppers while earning funds to support mission endeavors near and far, just like someone to tell it to. We especially today want to thank John Bechtel of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, who is so generously sponsoring this podcast. John is also being interviewed on the podcast along with his good friend, Thomas Chan. Thomas Chan was born in 1981 in southern Sudan, the fifth child in his family. His father died after he was born. He was killed in the mid-1980s. Thomas never saw his father face to face. He was told that his father was a wonderful person who always wanted to help people who were in need, especially during famine time because he possessed several pieces of land. Thomas and his family were forced to move westward to escape the war that threatened them. Arab soldiers marched toward their village and started shooting everyone who stood in their way. They started to burn down whole villages, to destroy crops, to kill live animals, and to rape young girls. They kidnapped as many as 100 young women and took with them 4,000 head of cattle. The year was 1984. Thomas's mother had to decide whether their family would stay in the same village or move to the western part of the district to start a new life and avoid being caught in the middle of the war. Thomas started looking out for the cattle and guarding his family garden from being destroyed by birds and animals. When he began guarding his, the garden, he was only five years old. As the war was going on, many people died Many lost everything they had, and what remained was nothing but their bodies. As he grew up, Thomas began to glean that his people were fighting to their right to be free from the Arabs in the north. He writes, We wanted to rule ourselves. As the war went on, many South Sudanese had to go to their neighboring countries, including Ethiopia, Kenya, Uganda, Egypt, and the Western world countries started a new life. While we were in those countries, we were treated with prejudice from the citizens of those countries because we were refugees. I escaped to Ethiopia when I was seven years old. 
Our village was burned down by the government troops. They killed old people and other people with disabilities who could not manage to escape. Thomas is with us today, along with his very good friend, John Bechtel. John is here to help Thomas share his story as Thomas's English is heavily accented. Welcome to you both. So Thank good to have you on the Someone, Someone to Tell To podcast Thank today. Thank, Thank you, you for inviting us, Tom. So Thomas, tell us what forced you to escape, to leave your family at such a young age. How frightened were you? Uh, what did you experience? Uh, well, it's to come to my mind, uh, when I see this soldier well-armed with a green uniform, and uh, uh, they start come with their tongue and they start shooting. And, uh, and I've, I've seen women get shot in the back, and they, they don't even uh, care about the, you know, the safety of individuals. So I escape because I don't want to get killed. I leave my mom and I run my own way to save my life. And uh, so what I've seen is what forced me to leave because there's no human being that did what they did. You know, killing a live animal, burning kid or woman in the house. And uh, the entire building was burnt down and the gunship was moving around. So I escaped because I know when I, when I stay, I will get killed. I was very afraid, I was nervous. And even almost having a heart attack because I was so young and I flee. So the killing that I've seen forced me to leave and leave the area. When I, some distance, some distance ahead of me, I see the smoke rising up over the head of the, of the tree. And I say, oh my God, <laughs> I hope they kill everybody. So that's how I escaped. So Thomas, you saw incredible killing. Exactly. You saw animals dying, yep. being slaughtered, yep. people being raped, and you you realized what was happening and that you probably or more than likely won't be killed too. Exactly. And so even at that young age you understood what was happening. Sure. And that's why you left. That's Correct. why you escaped. Correct. To save your life because you knew that yeah, they could kill. you would be a victim yeah. as well. Correct. Thank you. You're welcome. John, um, would you tell us how you connected with Thomas and why you continue to be a mentor, uh, of support to him, and such a very, very good friend? Well, I connected with Thomas through one of his, his friends, another lost boy who moved to the Harrisburg area about 13 years ago, and then Thomas followed his friend to Harrisburg, uh, and it was through his friend William that I that I met Thomas. At that time, I was involved with uh, an informal organization in the Harrisburg area, which was uh, walking alongside the group of lost boys who were in the Harrisburg area, subdivided among a number of, of churches in the Harrisburg area. And so I had come to know the story of, of the lost boys. And one thing led to another, and Thomas and I have been friends ever since. So we've been already using this term, the Lost Boys. Could you help us and those who are listening who know nothing about the Lost Boys, what what, what does that term mean? <laughs> um, in fact, when I left, uh, when we left Iowa, when we left uh, East Sophia, uh, when th that we were in the camps, 
we when they solve a hard problem, we push back, we will push back to, the, to, to Sudan. So and then manage uh, end up in Kenya. So when we reached Kenya, uh, we were uh, we were called an an accompanied minor or foster care. We put us into foster care. You know, people who have no parent, who have no uh, the parent not present, and, uh, and we 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 keep that name for so long. So when the United Settlement came in, uh, and a lot of people uh, step in, including UNHCR, and, and they screen all of us. So the name Lost Boy, instead of an, an accompanied minor, the Lost Boy became called most are often. You know, uh, we don't know our parents get killed or, or alive, and our hope was to come here. So the Lost Boy came up. And obviously to an unaccompanied minor. So first it was unaccompanied minor, uh, that, and then it became lost, lost boys. boys. I see. So that how the came in. So, okay. and uh, I think it wasn't a bad name. It was a good name. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you, so you you like that name? Exactly. You're, you're comfortable with that Correct. name? Correct. Yeah, you probably felt lost. Of course. So <laughs> much of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And then what are some of the most difficult things that you and the Lost Boys have experienced uh, since you've been here in the United States? Oh, when we came in? Yeah. <laughs> um, for, me, uh, for me, when I step out from, uh, after we land in JFK, uh, we step out from going to the terminal and come outside. So we meet with a group called IOM. IOM is uh, it's a, it's an international organization for migration. So we meet them outside. <laughs> so what I've seen was uh, <laughs> something fell the sky and it was too cold. And I said, oh my God, what's going on here? So we asked one of them, what's that dropping from the sky? And it's too cold. They said, oh, wow, <laughs> this is winter. I said, no. Well, I said, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they put us into the bus and we ended up in a, in a place that we, we spent overnight uh, for, one, you know, for one night. And uh, I'd be like, oh my gosh. So we didn't even know where we were going. In fact, they put, mine, they put a name CT, Connecticut, Street of Us. I said, I thought it was my name, Chantam. I said, you know, what, what does this mean? Oh, okay, guy, you guys, three of you are going to Connecticut State. I said, okay. But our concern was, why is it cold here? And they already explained to us. So when we, when we arrived in Connecticut, uh, within one day, they call us to go to the office and introduce us I was, you know, to other agencies and the bosses and workers. And they were so joyful to see us. It was a long walk, I mean, long process. So after that, uh, it's, it's hard for us to, to know how to get public transportation, how to get help, uh, because we have nothing in our hand. So we rely on them, and they show us how to be, you know, how to be integrated to community. First of all, they did orientation to us, for us. Tell us where you can get help, where if anything happened to you, the phone you can call. For example, if you get lost, you took the wrong, the wrong bus, uh, they show you how to get back uh, to come to, you know, to your apartment. So for us, including me, my hard thing was, uh, I asked a lot of questions for my identity. Then I think I don't know if they haven't seen a black like me. <laughs> 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 so they um personally they, this one lady asked me. He said, You saw duck, right? I said, Yeah. So <laughs> where are you from? <laughs> I said, I'm from Sudan, Africa. Sudan, Africa, yeah, oh my goodness. So how do you end up here? 
and I explained myself. So I came here through uh, United Restoration uh, that I came here to, you know, to, to migrate to Libya and call this country as my country that I desire, you know, that I, I was hoping for, I would reach, and I'm here. So, uh, of course, I think it became after one month, two months, we started learning one another, and uh, so something called culture shock. Uh, Cult culture shock. Exactly. So that's come from us, learning, you know, American way of life, uh, to be able uh, <laughs> how to operate cooking, how to turn on the light, mm -hmm. how to go to take the bathroom, mm -hmm. how to take a shower, mm -hmm. where you can take, you can go for a grocery, where you, you can get a bath, and what time you, is for the time, what time the bath come, because that's the only thing we depend on. Mm -hmm. So uh, that became an issue because of the weather. And mm -hmm. So um, the, they tell us, guy, you got so nice, you got very honest, you can, you can make it here. And I said, okay. So my culture was uh, sometimes, <laughs> look, if it's a winter, you dress in a light clothes, <laughs> people think something wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> especially in Connecticut. Yeah, exactly, yeah. especially in Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I wonder, uh, when we, we go to the shopping, that's not too far from us, about three to five minutes. And we're, we're wearing a, a slippers, not even a, a shoes, you know, like what I'm wearing. And people still look at us. You know, I said, "Guy, why, why, why they tell her? Why they look at us every day?" Well, I don't know what happened. So a agent came in. They sent somebody. They said, "Guys, some people observe you. Some of your friends from Sudan. Uh, that you you dress in light clothes and it's it's, it's wind. It's during wind time. The snow is falling. That is something horrible for us to do. You could have died because of this." Mm -hmm. We said, "Okay." And then they came in. They told us, "You know, say, you know what? Uh, I think we." We can't resist snow because we came from the desert where there's no snow. It's hard over there. But well, it's obviously it's cold here. So, and I think it's not a right thing for us to do. So we need clothes. And it's okay, you know what? They say, okay, you know, it was our mistake. So they took us to uh, the nation center, you know, and have some clothes, some jacket. They, they, they're good, they, they've been used, but they're good for us. Mm -hmm. So, and then we, and then the shoes. And then we put, a, you know, we learn from there and then we, we have to build a proper way that most American dress. Mm -hmm. That's part we cover. Okay? Let's come to GED classes. For me, I was training. So I ended up going to uh, high school. And I sit down with one of the professors. And I, he asked me, Thomas, yeah, how old are you? I said, I'm 20. <laughs> he said, wow. <laughs> so you're too old to, you know, to be admit, admitted to this school. You, you're 20. So you are, you're supposed to be 17 or 16. And we could have allowed you. So when I said, so what am I going to do? Well, you have, we have a GED classes here. You can take it from there. And then, uh, OK. <laughs> and then the problem came. We have to look for a job. That is another big responsibility and a lot of shame that the agency said, look, guys, to be independent, you have to find a job. You've been here for, two, for eight weeks. Uh, you can start looking for a job. Go to, you know, just take a application. So after out. eight weeks, yes. you had to look for a job. Exactly. So that's two months. That's not a very long not time. Not at all, not at all. And uh, we said, why is that too quick? They said, well, the time is moving. In the next six months, <laughs> you go by your own. Oh. And they said, we're going to assist you uh, to give one more, maybe twice. If you, get, you don't get a job, we have to two months, and then we'll give you another two months. So that's a four month. Uh, I hope when you get a, two, a job within four months, 
And then we remember six, I mean, uh, eight weeks, which is two months, then you are alone. Oh, wow. Oh, oh my goodness. So I'll say, we say, okay, okay, we will do it. Uh, so I and, and James and William, uh, we went to the Lowe's nearby where we live. Went to a Lowe's? Yeah. Then we pick an application, fill it out, take it back. We put the name, the agency, it's called uh, IRM. Uh, it stands for uh, Interface Refugees Ministry in New Haven. So we put in, the name. Interfaith Refugees Ministry Correct. in New Haven, Connecticut. Yeah, exactly. So we, so we put the name down, and they, they got a phone call from Lewis. Like, we got a three guy here, apply for a job here. How do you know them? <laughs> so, and then the agents applied themselves, and they came in during our interview. I said, wow, they seem like they look, they seem like they're a very good guy. And okay, <laughs> we will see. So we, we, we said, okay, we're going to give you a test. We're going to give you a math test. We're going to give you an English test to know, you know, what you can do and what, you know. Oh, we said, oh, okay. <laughs> we're a little bit nervous, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, I said, okay. So we said, go home. Tomorrow, come back. It was, it was uh, April 27th before the high house. So we went in. So, okay, we do our math. You know, algebra and equation, you know, and then division and multiplication. That, that wasn't bad. So we passed. Uh, English, we, we don't speak very good, but we understand what they're looking for. So we answered everything. Most of us didn't get it right, but they don't care. I mean, they don't mind. So we passed, and they said, okay, on May 1st, you guys come back, and you start the work. Oh, my goodness. Uh, my mind went up. Oh, I said, well, difficult. So we started from there. In, uh, in fact, <laughs> after six, 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 uh, six months, uh, William quit the job and left. Or went to Chicago. You went to Chicago? Yeah. From Connecticut? Yep. So me and James, we remained working with Lowe's, uh, oh my goodness, for many years. And then until when I moved to Pennsylvania. So at work, uh, we said, you know, we're not shy. We talk. Like you, can, you guys can see me, you know, I speak, I talk, you know. And uh, so we, we started having a friend yeah, in the company, in the Lowe's. So we have no car. Blessing, we are blessed because we don't live too far away. So we don't have no car. That's the most challenging that we were mm -hmm. facing. Mm -hmm. And so take us back. Yeah. So you had obviously overcome all of these challenges when you did arrive in the United States. Correct. Tell us more about your story when you were in Africa and how you had to flee and all the things that you had to overcome then and how that helped you overcome some of the things that you experienced in the U.S.? Exactly. Uh, so for myself, uh, after we left uh, our village, and we have to cross the Nile River, so we have a boat. It's, uh, it's only allowed for three to 400 people. If you have 500, that's overloading. And the, the boat will go down. So we were 300 and, if I'm wrong, all right, we were 385 plus, and then you had our uh, personnel that way with us. So the number was too high. So after we we really go and we reach to the middle of the of the Nile River, the boat starts going down and I can feel the water. And everybody cry. So they tell the captain, hey, <laughs> you have to drive the out outside. He don't want to do it, but yeah, you have to do it. And then he took us outside and then we then we asked him what what's wrong with this? He said, Well we are overloading but unfortunately we have to fix it. And otherwise, let the rest go home, and I take the rest. Oh no, <laughs> that is not going to happen. They said, "Well, so we have we have to take a rest." Then, we, so he went in and fixed some part of the 
uh, of the board. Then we we went back in. So our personnel look at him, you know, make sure he don't do something stupid, right? So we crossed the Nile River. Unbelievable. Uh, Nile River is dangerous. Okay, there's a lot of things there. There's a snake, big snake. That's mm -hmm. a there's a crocodile. There's a big pea. There's a shark. Oh, you name it. It was dangerous for us. Uh, so we thank God we, we managed to to go to the next. Uh, to the other, the, to the side of the, the Nile River. So we 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 came to a place called Dam Dam. Uh, it's uh, it's an area most the, the government, I mean the rebel control. They do ambush because that's another river. That that that's another uh, area that the, the rebel have a base in there. So they tell us you have to leave in the morning again. So we kill one of our last cow, <laughs> or a black cow. So we kill we kill that cow and we eat it overnight. And then the men that were carrying with us, so we crossed to uh, to the desert called uh, Ajagir. It's seven day drive, seven day. So we reached there. There was a, uh, a station that there were some rebels there. They have a well, a water, and our personnel go in. They say, "Guy, this kid are dying. <laughs> they are salty. They need water. No, <laughs> we don't give them water. Why? This water only for." Soldier, just have a, a wounded soldier, and the water sometimes dried up. So we kind of, oh my goodness, no. <laughs> but someone came to us, guy, sleep here, don't move. When they say go, don't move, stay there on the ground. We, we remained there, oh my goodness. At about 9, I think it was about 9 p.m., they call us, make a line. So we make a line, only one shot like this. That's it, no two. So and then they say, in the morning, guy, you got to leave. Okay, it was like uh, noontime. One of my friends, I seen him, he was struggling. You know, he couldn't move. He couldn't get up. He said, fell down. And the white top got in, in his mouth, coming out. And he was passing away. He was dying. Wow. So, and then they came in. They tried to bring water to him, and, you know, and, and he almost died. So, and then they said, look, what are we going to do? So, thank God. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Everybody looked at the sky. <laughs> I, I saw uh, one dark cloud in the sky, and then followed by the white one, white cloud, and then it's mixed. And then too much cloud came up. It was like a dark cloud, blue dark cloud. So it started, you know, it started falling our body, and I feel it. I said, what's going on? <laughs> so it's the rain, it started raining. Oh my goodness. So we, <laughs> everybody put their hand like this, and we sing the, uh, the song, you know, for the churches. For the church was that the rainy season? Yeah, no, it was a desert. It was a. It's not rainy season. It was like uh, summer. It was hard. It's a hard. To, it's July. It's hard to get rain in, in South Sudan. It's a hard to get get rain. So we okay. So the rain covered that desert, and we, you know, we can we carry those water. We 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 that the water came down. We put them so that the fall into our, the container we have, and then we say to them, guy, <laughs> I think. The Lord answer our call, and we are leaving. They say, "Well, it's guy, it's a seven-day drive." They say, "No, it's not a problem. We will make it." <laughs> so we move, and <laughs> those water doesn't last. <laughs> you know, as we cross them uh, for seven days, that's about what seven-day drive. Oh my goodness, that's a long walk. Mm -hmm. You know, and we encounter local <laughs> local people who live nearby the desert, and uh, and they look at us. Me, I have a chain that uh, my sister gave to me, 
you know, it's not like this, but it's like like it's, a bracelet. Yeah, exactly. He gave it for he gave it to me. So and then when we sit down, this lady came, you know, because we're, we're really dying. We are thirsty. We have no food. So he looked at me. He said, "Can I take this? I can give you." I said, "What?" He said. <laughs> so and then my one of my elder, can you say something? He won't take this, and we'll give him something. I said, "Okay." I take it out. I give it to her. He came back with the water. And wow! And so all the boys did what he, <laughs> what he, what I did. We give up. We have water and milk. Wow! It was a, another blessing. So we started walking. It took us for so long. I don't know how long because we left. Um, I think late, I think late uh, July, you know, 1987. So it took us for a while to walk. And since we are kids, we don't know nothing. How we old don't were you time. at that time? I think I was seven years old. And seven? Yeah. Wow. And that's my age. So most of us, especially Noel boy, we were so young. So uh, huh. so we, we keep moving. So I don't know. I don't know the time and the year. And how many miles? Because we spent a lot of time walking. And there's a, there's a mountain. It's a blue mountain. For, for example, if you see that mountain, is that too close? Huh? <laughs> no. It's too far away. They tell a guy, that mountain, yeah. You see? And we're almost there. That's our neck for us to sleep there. Oh, no. So we keep walking and walking. They keep, the, the, the mountain keep going back. I'm like, why? What's going on? So we keep going. But something happened. So after we sleep before the mountain, because too far away, we lost three, uh, three boys. Mm. Uh, they exhausted. They couldn't make it. And uh, the, the, the body starts shaking. And, you know, in the morning, they were dead. So that was, that was a past incident. For me, uh, I don't like to be emotional, but I look at them and say, you know what, uh, let me turn away somewhere else. So I move out and I sit over there <laughs> somewhere else. And the boy, we, we collect the body, we bury them there in the desert. Uh, after we collect the desert, I mean. So that was our first incident. I said, you know what, I think the death's not too far from us. Even if I was like, I think I may be the next. Wow. And so before the mountain again, the rain started raining again. So we're going to August. That's, an, that's when the rain started again. For, you know. So the rain started. Then, okay. So what we face is not, a, it's not uh, hard no more. Or, you know, we are facing how to move, how to walk, because the water you know, over, you know, is flowing. It's become mud. Flood. Yeah. Flood. flood and mud. Exactly. So that's another problem we have. So and, uh, for me, <laughs> uh, the one thing I love was to motivate me. Uh, what my mom told me one day, uh, he said, my son, <laughs> let me tell you, bear in mind, okay? One day, one day will come. I will, not be, I will not be present in front of you. You will not see me. No, see your other brother or your dad. You got to figure out how to survive, how to be a strong man. Mm. And I said, wow. I think about it, huh, right? I said, okay, you know what? That's what my mom told me. Okay. That How old do you think me. you were when she said that? Uh, I thought my mind changed, you know, being weak into become powerful, be, I mean, strong boys, seven years old. And I don't want, look, I don't like to be at the, the last one with me walking. I don't like to be in the middle. It's <laughs> a pretty big responsibility. Yeah, so I have to be in the front. So mine is, is, is a motivation for me what I've facing. I didn't know. God know. So I didn't know that that thing will happen, what my mom told me. And, and another one, if the other boy do it, why not me? 
Why can't do it? If they work, why am I not working? We are the same age. I can't make it. And <laughs> you try to sit down, they discipline you. The, the personality discipline you. They beat you. Because they don't want to carry you. you you're seven years old. You know, they all have problems too. They, they like us, you know. So that's what motivated me to make me strong, what my mom told me. What Thomas has been saying, uh, talking about, you know, escaping on, on boats, afraid your boat, the boat be, being so overloaded is I going to capsize or sink, Correct. having to, uh, the danger of, of 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 snakes and and other other wild things that could be very that could, could hurt you and harm you uh, very much, uh, the, the danger of you know being very very thirsty, extremely thirsty, hungry, no food, no, no nothing to drink, walking across a desert. Um, that seemed endless, seeing friends and other other boys die in front of you, having to bury their bodies. Exactly. All of those things are memories that, that probably just never go away, do Correct. they? They are seared in your mind, we, we have no doubt. Um, are there, as you talk about those things, yeah. which are terrible, yeah, and for a seven-year-old to have to endure them and experience them is just just about unthinkable to us. But you were strong, and you were motivated, which is why you're here today, yeah. so many years later. Are there things about or memories that you have about life at home, and your culture there, and your environment that that you remember, that you still that you remember fondly? that you remember with joy and thanksgiving? Are there things like that? You talked about your mother and how she motivated exactly. you. Exactly. And certainly she's, she's a tremendous memory for you. Yeah. What other kinds of memories do you have that, that help you smile <laughs> or that bring you or laugh or, or bring you joy when you think of those years, even as difficult as they were, or, or, or the years even before those specific difficulties happened? Um. <laughs> For me, I have a lot of memory uh, that uh, were so nice to me. That was so thing that uh, you kind of forget for your life. Uh, most time, uh, I I always remember my uh, other sibling, including my brother and my sister. Uh, during plantation time season, uh, we when the crop are growing like this, five feet or, or four or three feet, uh, we we play. You have to find me. I find you. So you high and. Uh, other whoever touch the other one uh, is a winner. So I, when I figured out every night that the life that I was feeling when I was a kid was beautiful. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, I have a son of uh, a club growing up, you know, so with a bad thinking, so so natural, so beautiful, and playing with my uh, brother, my sister in the in the garden. Was one of the the thing that I still remember. What was the crop, Thomas? Uh, the crop we have a coins. Uh, Corn. We have a sagum. We have a sagum. bean. Yep. We have a bean. Beans. Uh, we have other thing that uh, I could remember, but they were there. Uh, we have a natural fruit that you can't when you're hungry, but there's a, there's a time when this can grow. There's a time <laughs> for pain to wait. You know, uh, everything you do have a price. So my other good memory was. When I look after my uh, our uh, garden, so when the when the when the crop has, has start uh, become going up and how and became like uh, 
Ready rift. for harvest? Yeah. Ready for harvest. That's when the bed came. That's when they started eating, you know, uh, this corn and, and sorghum. So that's my duty to distract them, uh, to go to the, uh, to the garden. I have a rope. I put three, like one, two, three pieces of, uh, of, of rope. So I have to go around with my hand and then go like that, and then it make a noise, hmm. and the bed fly. That one, when I remember, I have fun. You know, I have fun. But I, even th- I don't like them to, <laughs> to destroy my, you know, our garden. But I have fun with them. I enjoy doing that. It's my life. And it's part of my responsibility uh, to make sure. Well, I don't want them to be disciplined, right? That's another play that when my mom came <laughs> in the morning <laughs> and see that. And all the time, what happened? I thought I told you that guy the garden. So that's my responsibility to make sure this bed don't destroy, you know, our garden. Because we need, that's our food. We work hard for it. Mm-hmm. You know. So everyone who's listening today, you can obviously hear Thomas's pretty thick accent. And uh, we're curious, Thomas, has that been an inhibitor for you uh, from building relationships here and kind of adjusting to American culture? Uh, and then maybe the second part of that question is, do you miss being back in Africa among people who would understand you and your native language? Um, of course. Uh, first of all, when I fly back, uh, <laughs> I miss my uh, childhood friend uh, that we were together. Uh, we share life together. Um, we go to uh, <laughs> we go to the drum. You know, we have, like just people go to club here. We have, we have look, guys. We have those, those kind of stuff that people go to drama to. You know, uh, that's where the men and women or boy and girl meet. Mm-hmm. We don't just meet at home. But we, we do this, we have a social life that we play to. It's a part of our culture. You know, you don't, you know, you don't just meet a girl that is your nip. You have to go to drama, you have to go to a band, you know. And we do our culture, dancing, you know. It kind, kind of fun, kind of stuff that I can't, I can't forget. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's where you meet girls, friends. Mm-hmm. So okay. Yeah, okay. compared to club here in America. Or, or going to school too. You know, at that time we don't have no school. Uh, so we just <laughs> how to name it uh, illiterate is that people who don't even have, have an idea about ed- education. Yeah. So we just survive. Oh, illiterate. Exactly, okay. illiterate. Yeah. So we don't we <laughs> we don't know anything about education. Mm-hmm. So I still have those sun in my mind that yeah you know I miss most of my childhood friends mm-hmm. and uh, I think of them over or they also think of me either they are alive or not. You know, so do you think it. it's hard because of the way you speak English? I, exactly. Do you think it's hard, but not that Sudan, but here in the United States? Correct. Do you think because of your accent that makes it harder for you to meet people here? Uh, for me, it's uh, accent. It doesn't mean uh, to meet someone. It's a speak, and people understand what are you saying. Uh, it's hard for American, Native American, to understand my language. Uh, if they ask me three times, tell me to repeat yourself. I will, I'm, I'm always willing to, to say what I say already. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for me to understand us because accent. Every, every accent that we have is, is too much for you guys to understand. Because uh, <laughs> when, I was, when I was in Kenya, we, I think most Kenyans use uh, British English. Uh-huh. So that's the thing interfere and talk to be speaking American dialect, English American. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for me, I'm thinking about, okay, if somebody asks me three times, can you repeat yourself? I'd be like, you know what, okay, 
I can do it. It don't cost me no dollar. Oh. <laughs> 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 you know, it's a simple thing that you can you can do that another person can it do. It doesn't cost you a dollar, dollar to no repeat it. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, it's tough, guy. Right? It's tough for people to understand your language. What uh, it, you you in your mind, in your body, in all your strength, you think you are speaking a good English. Uh-huh. That you know, <laughs> you know, uh, but. Unfortunately, you don't know that other people don't understand, you know, for, for your, for, especially for my accent. So we make it harder. But it doesn't, make, it doesn't make me not to do what I'm supposed to do. You know, I keep moving, you know, uh, and life went on, and I'm learning right now from you guys. Well, Thomas, w- we, we just need to say how impressed we are for the life you've made for yourself here. As we hear your story and, and know what you endured, what you went through as a young boy, and as a teenager and, and, and as you became a young man, and then moving to a country here where you first saw snow and had no idea what that was. With not the right kind of clothing. Exactly. And living in Connecticut where it's even colder often than it is here in Pennsylvania yeah. where we live. Uh, the fact that you did all that and that, and that only a few months afterwards you got a job at yeah. a Lowe's yeah. that you passed the tests that they gave to you for yeah. for math and for English and and that you made it and you were began you began to support yourself and yeah. then you moved here to Harrisburg Pennsylvania right. where you live now you're holding down two jobs right now is that correct no one just one right now okay one job that's enough yeah and one job and you're also going to school Uh, he's going to the harrisburg area community college and has made the dean's list is that correct Correct. that that to us is extremely amazing and impressive that in spite of what this language barrier that you have the the heavy accent that so many of people don't understand you have been able to overcome that and you're making a life for yourself here with the help from some right. really good friends. Yeah, I do. But you're doing it. And that, um, we, we just congratulate you for oh, that thank, because thank we know that it's not easy. And the life that you've had to lead, to, to lead and live, the things you've had to escape from and then re- learn and relearn here, um, it's extremely impressive. Thank you. Thank You're you. an inspiration for us, <laughs> Thomas. You really Thank are. You. And, and that's you why, us. And that's why we're talking with you today. And that's why we want your story to be told. And even if people don't understand every word of it, we want them to understand enough to know what the human spirit can do mm-hmm. when the spirit, human <clears throat> spirit is motivated and sometimes even threatened. Sometimes when we're threatened, yeah. it's amazing Thank what we can well. do. Oh, yeah. Sure. And... Again, we're very impressed. So let's invite John into the conversation a bit more here. So John, talk a little bit about yourself. And I know before we were even on air here, we were just curious some of the things that you've learned as you've supported Thomas just about immigration. Immigration is such an important matter here, particularly in our country right now. Uh, It's kind of a hot button issue. And... Thomas is kind of a, a story of hope for a lot of immigrants because he has made a way for himself. And let's talk a little bit about this idea of paying it forward. And mm-hmm. you are somebody who has paid it forward in your relationship with Thomas. And Thomas, you're somebody who's always looking forward to, uh, to pay it forward to others right. because of all the gifts that you've received along the way. So uh, just talk, us, talk a little bit about that with us. 
Well, as I was sharing with you before we we started with the podcast, Tom, uh, when uh, I first became involved with the Lost Boys of Sudan, I didn't know uh, Ethiopia from Bolivia, you know, from from uh, Australia. Uh, this this whole uh, thing with with Africa, particularly immigrants from Africa, was all was all brand new to me. But one. One thing I began to think about very early on as I was involved with the Lost Boys is they, although they were young men when they got here, they came alone. They did not come with families. Most most immigrants, uh, I think, of when I was younger in the 1970s, there was an influx of Vietnamese to the Harrisburg area. They came as family units. Nowadays in my neighborhood, I see a number of Nepalese, uh, ethnic Nepalese from the country of Bhutan who are moving in. They come as family units. Indians, Pakistanis generally come as family units with resources. These guys came literally with the, with the shirts on their back and with no, you know, f- no family network yep. to, to support them. Uh, so in that respect, I think that it's hard enough for any immigrant to, to assimilate and acculturate here, but, but for the Lost Boys of Sudan, I think that the bar was, was, was that much higher, and that's why it's, these guys inspire me, that despite all of that, they, they persevere and, and they, they make their way. You know, and I, I have to say that in my experience working with the Lost Boys uh, or volunteering with the Lost Boys, and I, uh, although I know Thomas the best, uh, seven or eight years ago I was involved with a, an organization here in the Harrisburg area that was walking alongside Lost Boys who were, who were housed in a number of churches. Uh, that I got a chance to see just how closely the federal government scrutinizes green card holders and and refugees who are coming into the country and have to live in the country for five years before they can become citizens. Uh, they they are vetted when they come in and they're they're scrutinized very closely along along the way. So that was an eye opener for me too to realize that someone who holds a green card has every right of citizenship than you and I have except for the the right to vote and to to hold a passport so it's been um, it's been a very much a learning experience for me yeah I'm sure it's opened your eyes to the need for people to build relationships with people who are deemed outsiders uh, who feel pretty alone here in our country and uh, you know we all need those mentoring relationships, but those who come here with nothing, mm-hmm. they especially need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because I myself have been previously involved with a program also here locally in Harrisburg with Big Brothers Big Sisters called the Mentoring Project, and for three years I supported a young boy who didn't have a dad and. Um, mm-hmm been a very strong advocate for the mentoring project uh, because again they in those situations they're they're often fatherless children and so they need some mentoring Mm -hmm. people will journey with them and Mm -hmm. so happy to be able to do that so again we just applaud you john for for your support that you've offered to thomas (laughs) thank you tom yeah thomas how what would you like people to know about um, your experiences? What would you like people here to learn from what you've gone through? 
how that how you know one one, one phrase that we use here is to pay it forward. Quite. How can you? How would you like to do that? To t- to have take your story, and be able to tell it and share it and help other people with your story Correct. because of it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I think the thing I went through, uh, you know, uh, a young man, it's not different from, from Sudan, it's not different from a young man in America. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, uh, I won't tell my story to people who are struggling young people or all, uh, that are how I survive. And United States is a land of uh, opportunity. Uh, there are possibilities that you, you can change your life forever and become a person, and an you know, important person in the community. If I share my life uh, to young people like me uh, who are struggling, and when I went through, uh, they will think that they, they can change their life, what I, what I say to them. Because most of these young people who are here in America, uh, they're also struggling. You know, like I did. Even so, mine is higher, it's too much than what they kind of feel in here in America. Uh, telling your story changes people's life. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. some, maybe someone thinking something bad or something good. But when they hear my story, you know, a guy, a young man from Sudan, and came here with nothing. And he's in school. Uh, so for me, I have to, uh, like John, uh, it's, I'm blessed that I have John. Uh, He's been with me for 12 years. He volunteers, uh, he invests his life on me, a lot of stuff that I learned from him. Uh, is how can I pay back John and these people? His answer for me is I have to give back, thank God, uh, if he will keep me living, alive here. I can go back and, and volunteer. Uh, that could be a part of my life to tell my story to people. And uh, including young people, if they want to listen, what, what I'm trying is to tell them that this is a free world. You can't change your life. Forever. It doesn't matter how bad it was. And I think my story will change many lives here in Pennsylvania or somewhere. If they listen, if they hear my story, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a guy came with nothing. <laughs> kind of. So that's someone to tell to. We talk about this epidemic of loneliness all the time Correct. and this chronic disease, particularly here in the U.S., but it's, it's a global problem. And we would imagine that you feel lonely sometimes. Correct. And so far from your family and your friends, do you have an opportunity to make friends and express yourself and your troubles to others? Um, for me, I think I want to thank God, okay, uh, <laughs> that uh, when I first met John, and uh, <clears throat> I'd be like, you know what, okay, so I think God it was me. If not, if you don't love me, I wouldn't, John wouldn't be in my life. I think uh, to answer your, your call, Tom, um, loneliness is a disease, okay. Uh, to any particular person, that including me. Uh, being lonely with the TV, <laughs> computer, and phone, uh, it's, it's not good. And lonely is a problem for me. And uh, without John, too, I'll be struggling, maybe going to the wrong people that are not supposed to, stay, to, to interact with them. So, uh, like I say, it's a blessing I have John, you know, and like I, I meet you, to you guys, through John. For me, it's a blessing, too, to you guys. Uh, to be able to you know, how can I say, look, somebody in uh, somebody is pressing to your story for you guys when you read my last story. It's inspiring. It's learned from me, from my experience. So it's, we are like a food chain. I know John. Like and, a food chain. Exactly. So I met John and he met 
two of you. Explain that a little yeah, bit. Okay. Yeah. So a fusion is like, a, that for example, uh, <laughs> uh, if uh, I meet John, I meet you, and then I go to the next person, it's like a network. So fusion means one th when it is something bad, the whole thing will fall apart. If something good, the whole thing going to the right place in okay. the right direction. Okay. So a food chain can yeah. be for good food. or for yeah, evil. Exactly. Okay. So and uh, I'm 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 blessed. So you know, and how's you two of you in, in my life? We we led a training here in Harrisburg for for a business this morning, and we were talking about how all of our stories are always evolving. And so somebody had raised the question, well, what if somebody keeps telling more of their story and how do you respond if they seem repetitive almost? And our response is the same one in that we need to keep listening because okay. there's always more to learn about one another. Correct. And every time we meet with you, we learn something new. And, and that's why we want to keep meeting with you because it's, it's enriching our lives. Oh, thank you. Um, by all that you've gone through. And, and we hope that it's enriching yours because the more you tell your story, believe that the more light is shed on something that's very dark, Correct. the less dark it becomes. The more light that is shed, it, it, it breaks that darkness away. And we hope that's happening as you tell your story, as people, as we listen, as John listens, as other people listen that it, it, it's helping you to heal. Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. helping you to grow. Yep. It's helping you to learn about, about the world and yeah. about yeah. other people and, uh, and about yourself. And you mentioned God and about, about God, a God who you believe loves you. And, and we do too. And, and <laughs> as we as well. Mm -hmm. And we, we believe that is so 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 important and um, you're right. So to add something, John say, uh, I have a, I do have a, uh, inter, inter, I mean, connect with the, uh, some of the community. Um, is the it's, it's funded by Duncan County. So uh, it's called Murphy. It used to be Edgewater. They came to Murphy. I think that's the right word I can use. Uh, I've been there in that in that uh, area that uh, address uh, for almost three years. Uh, it's, they are like they, they are like supporters. They support you go back to your pit, uh, in, including maintaining the job, uh, including finding a, a place for you at a home, and be independent. Go back where you were. Uh, I, I'm living there, so they are part of my life too, and uh, they are so nice to me. They they always, you know, willing to help me, and move on with my life. So that inspired me, you know. Uh, you know, um, people say a blessing is n is only for one person, but that's wrong. A blessing is is good to every individual. So I'm blessed because I'm in this country. Why should I say I love America? Is there a problem for me? No, I love this country, and I call this country to ask where I where I supposed to be. I think I think <laughs> someone make a phone call up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and say, Tom, you can end up in America. You never, you never heard about it, but you will be there. So that was invisible <laughs> for me, even though I didn't hear it. <laughs> so it's not difficult for a migrant to say, look, I love this country for the rest of my life, my heart. I ain't gonna know where I have to go. And that's true. United States is the only free world uh, that, <laughs> that allows refugees coming all over the world. 
and be able to change their life and, and become successful. So I think it's, uh, it's not difficult to say I love this country. And it's not the first time for anyone to surprise why did I say I love this country. <laughs> so there's a lot of million of Americans. I mean, people coming from all over the world because of this great nation that I am. To kind of sum all that up, I think we've all been blessed to be a blessing. And I think that that's kind of what you're saying. And yeah. uh, we all have the opportunity to be a blessing to others because we've all received much. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's just been a joy to have you on the program today. Oh, thank you. Thank you for, for telling your story. We know that there is a lot more to learn. And, yeah. and if our listeners are curious to learn more of the story, there's a documentary that I rented from the library called The Lost Boys of Sudan. You can find articles from NPR okay. and National Geographic magazine. Uh, just do a Google search, and, and it's very, very interesting. And, John, we want to thank you for being here, too. We thank you for the 12 years that you have spent being a true and faithful friend and mentor to Thomas. We know that you have been a, a tremendous blessing in his life and a source of light and love. And isn't that something we all need Put it. in all of our lives? And, and John, it's, it's symbiotic. Uh, um, Michael, because, uh, you know, Thomas's faith, holding on to his faith despite his past, and he really is a source of, uh, of inspiration for me in many ways. As well as for us, too. And so we, we are grateful, and we thank God for meeting both of you. Thank you. For the work that, John, you, you do, the, the volunteerism. Um, and for Thomas, for the inspiration, that, that, that's a great word for, for what you are, an inspiration. You are highly welcome. So thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> so for those of you who tuned in today, thank you for, for listening to the Someone to Tell It To podcast. To learn more about our work at Someone to Tell It To, just go to our website, someonetotellitto.org. And uh, if you'd like to learn more, again, about the Lost Boys of Sudan, just do a simple Google search, and there's lots of information out there. Thank you. We want to thank you again for listening to this podcast and for all of our generous sponsors who make these podcasts possible. If you would like to be a sponsor, please contact us at info at someonetotelitu.org, and we'd be glad to help you know what you can do. Thank you.